Colossians 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God help us grow in his word. Daisy, thanks for reading scripture. I'm going to call Mark up. Uh, Mark is here for our second weekend, and uh, he actually leaves tonight to return to the U.S., so I'm really grateful for how he's been able to spend these two weekends with us and get to know at least some of us during the week, and I trust that uh, your interactions with him have been helpful. And do continue to pray for us as a church and pray for Mark as well, that he will have wisdom, that we will also have wisdom as we consider uh, the next steps in this process. Uh, Mark, uh, how can we be praying for you and your family as you return to the States? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, pray for my wife Megan uh, and I as we talk together and pray together over the next uh, week. But also uh, pray for my kids. They're, they're in this kind of two-year journey of transition after transition. We've, we've moved a lot. Uh, and by and large, I think they do well. But just uh, I want this uh, experience to turn them towards the Lord. So appreciate your prayers for them. Right. Thank you. Well, maybe I can lead us all in prayer for Mark yeah. before he preaches for us. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we give you thanks and praise for how you raise up faithful servants who serve you in the gospel. Uh, Father, we thank you for Mark and Megan. Thank you for uh, bringing Mark here, for allowing us to get to know him, for hearing him uh, bring your word to us this past, uh, these two weekends. Father, we do pray that you would give them continued wisdom and guidance, help them to discern your will for them as, they, as we take these next steps. Father, we pray for ourselves as a church as well. Grant us wisdom in this matter. Father, we pray particularly for their children. Father, these two years have indeed been challenging, both from COVID as well as with all the transitions that they have been facing. Father, we pray that you would strengthen their hearts, help them to look to you even amidst uncertain and changing circumstances. We pray that you would be their anchor, that you would be their hope. So we pray for this family. Wherever you lead them, we pray that you would continue to fill them with the joy of the gospel, uh, continue to use them as your faithful servants to make Jesus known. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Well, it has been a great joy for my son Lawrence and I to be visiting with you this past week. Uh, grateful for your hospitality. Uh, we leave tonight encouraged by what the Lord is doing in and through this church uh, and praying that he'll multiply your labors uh, for the gospel here. So thank you for hosting us. As parents, uh, Megan and I are in the midst of a somewhat terrifying transition that happens when your children are old enough to begin driving automobiles. Now, from what I understand on this point, I think Singapore is better than the U.S. I think you have to be 18 here, is that right? 
It's 16 in the U.S. I, I don't know why we think 16-year-olds should be driving automobiles, uh, but I have been teaching my, my oldest daughter, and, and I, when I think about the, 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 the terror that we experience, it's not because she's a bad driver. Uh, it's because of my own impatience and because I remember what it was like as a 16-year-old when I first started driving a car. Uh, one experience I can tell you about was a day that I ended up needing a helping hand. After I got my license, my dad gave me an old car to drive around. It was a 1978 Buick LeSabre. And I say a, a car, it was more of a tank. So think a, a large rectangular hunk of metal, okay? And this thing was on its last legs, but it was very safe. It had big steel bumpers on the front and on the back. Uh, my dad figured I'd be safe in it. Um, we called it the Blue Whale. It was so large. Uh, one day, I don't remember exactly where I was. It was somewhere far from home. And as I'm driving down the road, the, the engine starts to sputter. And then finally, it cuts out completely. And I, I just drift over onto the side of the road there, uh, get out. I, I pop the hood, and I, I don't know much about cars. So I, I can't figure out what is wrong, get back in the car, try to start it. It, it won't start. Um, so I remember just, just kind of getting out and standing on the side of the road, helpless, confused. What do you do? Now, if you're young here, you're thinking, well, you just pull out your cell phone and call somebody, right? But believe it or not, there was a day before cell phones. So in the 1980s, we, we had no such things. Uh, I looked up and down. Cars were passing. No idea what to do. After a while, a car pulled over, and a man got out, asked me if I needed help. Uh, he he kind of tinkered around a little bit. He couldn't, he couldn't start the car either. And then he says this to me. He says, um, seems like you need help getting somewhere, so get in your car. Uh, I'll get in my car, and I'll push you. Uh, there are a few miles down the road. There's a gas station. And I remember thinking, this doesn't sound like a good idea. I mean, if you, if you try to push a car, you kind of get going, and then you separate a little bit, and then you come back together, and, and this was going to be worse for his car than for mine. Uh, but that's what we end up doing. Uh, he, he pushes me down the road. Uh, we, we end up getting to the, to the gas station. I'm sure his bumper was completely dented up by that point. But I, I coast into a parking spot, and I get out to thank the man, and he's gone. I mean, I, I'm, there are cars going past, and I assume he pushed me in, and then he just went on his way. I, I wasn't even able to thank him. I, I stood there by the roadside wondering, what, why did he help me? What? What made him stop? I needed help. He was there to give me a push. We're continuing, or we're finishing this morning, our four-part series on prayer. Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication, this final morning, it's a fancy word for prayer. It means petition. It means asking God for things. The really interesting thing about the prayer that we're going to look at this morning is that Paul is praying it for people that he's never met. He's praying for this church that he's never been to. And so he's putting into action the thing that he would often ask other churches for. He, he would often say things like, you must help us by your prayers, Pray for me that a door of effective ministry would be opened for me. Well, he believed that others' prayer could help him. And likewise, he believes that his prayers are powerful and effective for the good of these people 
that he's never met. And I think this is a great challenge for us this morning. Uh, We live in a can-do age. It's a can-do place, right? Uh, We know about working hard to accomplish our goals, but do you and I realize how much we can accomplish, how much we can actually help others by praying for them? Do we pray? And do we know how to pray? I spent many years in in campus ministry working with new believers, and one of the things I always saw is, is we learn to pray by copying others. Well, the best way, friends, that we can learn to to copy others in prayer is to study the prayers that are in Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do this morning in Colossians 1. Uh, We're going to think about how our prayers can get behind other people and give them the push that they need to grow in their relationship with God. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that this morning. It would be great to write some things down and be able to talk about it with others over lunch. Uh, The main idea of our study this morning is that we should pray others know God's will so they can walk God's way motivated by God's grace. Pray others know God's will so they walk God's way motivated by God's grace. And that will form our outline, our three main points. Number one, know God's will. Number two, walk God's way And number three, motivated by God's grace. It's my prayer that we'll walk out of here this morning knowing how to help others through prayer in 2022. So let's dive in. Number one, know God's will. We're looking at verse 9. Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, we have a little brief intro here before Paul gets into the, the content of his prayer. He, he says that from the day he heard about the Colossian church, he hasn't stopped praying for them. Uh, as we said, this is a church he's not visited, didn't plant this church, but what he's heard about them is encouraging to him. He, he says up in verse 6 of chapter 1 that all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing among you. And this is something amazing about prayer. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's obvious, but it's still amazing, something that Paul's grabbing onto here. You're not limited by your inability to be physically present with someone to do them spiritual good. We can be a part of what God is doing all over the world through prayer. So even just this week, as I've shared with the, the church back in Charlottesville, Virginia, Jefferson Park Baptist Church has been praying for you. They've been trying to be involved in what's going on here by prayer. So Paul believes prayer is powerful across the distance, and notice also he hasn't ceased praying for them, meaning he has some kind of prayer list, I would guess, that they are on, and he just keeps at it. He just keeps praying for them. So before we dive too deep into the theology and the content of the prayer that's important for us to study, let's just stop and take some application here right at the start. Pray with the church. Pray for the members of the church. Pray for the ministries of the church and for those beyond the church, even as as Jonathan was modeling for us this morning in the pastoral prayer, in in the monthly prayer meeting that's coming up, in your care group, in, in your personal times with the Lord. What we're about to study can't merely be academic. We're going to have to actually do it. Ask God that He would help the Christians around you grow. Well, let's dive into the content now, and Paul gets right to the point of his prayer. Bottom line is right up front here. 
He says, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, those three words are, are a triad, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, especially if you read in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, you run into them again and again. They give a full-orbed picture about what goes on in our minds. We need information about something to know it. But then we need understanding to, to grasp it, and we need wisdom to know how we're going to apply it to life situations. But specifically here, he's talking about knowing, understanding, having wisdom in applying God's will. But what does he mean by God's will? I think we need to take a moment here because the Bible talks about God's will in two distinct sorts of ways. So, so one is his sovereign will, or what theologians call his will of decree, which is that which always and inevitably comes to pass. So if we read in Ephesians 1.11, God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So this is a way of saying that God is sovereign. There are no maverick molecules anywhere in the universe. There's nothing outside of his control. That's how Psalm 115.3 could say our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He governs the universe as the sovereign Lord, and whatever he wills, certainly comes to pass. But there's another way that the Bible talks about God's will, and that's that it, what theologians call his will of command, his will of command. So we talked last week about the, the command that's at the end of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will is that you and I will meet life's up and downs with thanksgiving. As we said, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances that will locate what there is to be thankful for. Or when the scriptures say that holiness and sanctification are God's will for you. This, this isn't speaking of God's will of decree, but rather what is the desire of God for all of us in terms of our living. God's will of command is often called his preceptive will because it's tied to the precepts he has revealed in the word of God. The Bible is how we know what God wants for us, right? What does he want for my youth or my middle age or my old age? What does he want for my singleness or my marriage? What are the precepts that are supposed to guide my thought life, what I look at, what I think about, what governs my use of money and possessions, all these things. And you can see why this is the main prayer point for Paul. This is the essential request. To know God's will is to know what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Those of you who are students here, uh, when you step into a new term with, with a new teacher, you know that you've got to figure out the teacher, right? It's not just a matter of learning the material. You've, you've got to learn the teacher. You've got to learn what they want. Is it class participation? Is it doing a really good job on the homework? Is it just the, the test at the end of the term? I, I remember in college that the good students, of which I was not one, uh, would take that syllabus at the beginning, right? And they would study that thing. I never understood what they were doing. It, it's my problem. But uh, we, we need to understand what the professor wants from us. That's the idea here. Now, too often, I think, when we think about the topic of God's will, we think about it the wrong way. Because we tend to think of God's will in terms of those big forks in the road in life. 
Uh, should I go to this school or that school? Should I marry this person? Should I uh, get in this career or that career? And, and those are important things. Uh, we should probably call that something like uh, discerning God's leading for us. Because when the Bible talks about God's will for our lives, it, it usually means obeying what God has mandated for us. So in Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. That's not just a prayer that we need when we're uh, considering marriage or, or a home purchase. It's a daily need for us. Now, the last thing to notice in this first point is that though we're talking about the mind, about knowing God's will, Paul says this has to be done with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Can you see that there? To say that this involves the mind is not to say that it's academic. I had a brilliant professor in college who taught New Testament. Uh, She was ethnically Jewish, but she was an atheist. She taught us lots of information about the New Testament, but she didn't believe in the supernatural at all. She didn't have a relationship with God because she didn't believe that he existed. As 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, she was like the natural person who does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to open the eyes of our heart to understand God and his will. Now, beloved, that is why this book is so precious to us. The Bible is the only way that we finally know what is God's will for our lives. Without it, we don't have the syllabus. We have no way to discern what the Lord wants for us. And this is knowledge that we desperately need every day. So are you applying your minds to the study of God's Word? Do you come week by week eager to hear, to understand Those areas where where there are gaps in your knowledge or understanding of the Christian life, are are you digging into the Scriptures? Are you doing it with friends? Are you trying to compare Scripture with Scripture so that you can understand how the Lord wants you to live? We should pray that we, we would be like that for ourselves, and we should pray that for others. So that's the first thing here. Pray that we will know God's will through His Word Now, for what purpose do we do that? Let's think secondly about walk God's way and pick up the prayer in verse verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. And we'll stop there. We move here from the the head to the hands, or really the the mind to the feet. He talks about walking here. Paul says that he he prays they will know God's will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Walking is is Paul's way of of saying the the Christian life, living. We're moving now to actions, uh, behaviors, a manner of life. What do we do on Wednesday nights and Friday mornings and Tuesday afternoons? Whatever we do is supposed to bring glory to the Lord. It's supposed to be worthy of Him. It means that our actions should, should reflect a spotlight on Him, and they should be consistent with His character, who He is. A Christian claims to be a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. 
and Lord of Lords. And, and you can't claim that and then live in an unrepentantly apathetic or immoral way. That's not worthy of him. To illustrate this, we, we simply need to think about the ways in which our actions reflect back on our, our families. Uh, this is one of the reasons why parents are constantly bragging about their children, right? Uh, there, there's a glory that comes back to mom and dad when the children do well. Uh, I like to joke with my kids as I send them somewhere. I say, remember that you're not a Smith and you're not a Jones. You're a Collins. Now, no, no, uh, I'm not intending at all to say anything bad about Smiths or Joneses. It's just a joke with my children. Um, but I'd like to provoke them to remember that the family name goes with them and that they represent us wherever we are going. That's the idea here. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But then notice the modifying phrase here. This isn't motivated by guilt. Rather, he says, fully pleasing to him. That's the motivator. I want to please him. And that's a staggering thought for you and I this morning. That we can please, we can bring pleasure to the Almighty God. The Scripture is equally clear that we can grieve Him. Paul says in Ephesians, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what we do can please Him or grieve Him. Now in one sense, we need to be really clear that God has no lack of anything. He has no need of anyone. We should think about Him as the most happy being conceivable. And yet as He adopts us into His family... His love unites us to Him in a relationship where just as a father or a mother is pleased when their children obey and displeased when they disobey, so it is with our Heavenly Father. So ask yourself this morning, are you motivated by that idea of pleasing your Heavenly Father? But now what Paul does next, he doesn't want this to be an abstract thought, something that's easily kind of cast away from our minds. And so he builds out this idea of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord with four participles. Sorry to talk about grammar this morning, but we have a main verb and then we have four participles, four I-N-G verbs. I want you to see it there in the text. First, bearing fruit in every good work. And then second, he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Then third, being strengthened with all power. And then fourth, giving thanks. So, So these four participles flesh out this picture of walking worthy and to try to please God. So let's look at each of them briefly. First, bearing fruit in every good work. What does that mean? Uh, This points to the way our our lives are supposed to overflow into the lives of other people. There are to be good works that are hanging off of us. I was thinking Singapore is the place for bearing fruit. There are so many fruits here. I've had at least three fruits this week that I've never had in my entire life, including durian. This is the place for fruit. So, so what kind of fruit are we supposed to bear? Well, we'd like to bear fruit in our relationships with non-Christians. We'd like unsaved family members and friends and coworkers and classmates to, to hear the good news. We'd like to talk to them about it. It makes take some time. We're, we're praying for opportunities to, to speak with them. And, and then we'd like our lives to, to back up what we share. Not, not that we're perfect but that they would see God's grace at work in us as we try to serve them in love, as we try to be humble before them. So we'd like to bear fruit in our relationships with non-Christians. 
but we'd also like to bear fruit in our relationships with other believers. I assume that, that most of you underestimate how much God wants, you, wants to use you in the lives of, of one another. I mean, I assume that because I so often hear, ah, Mark, I just I don't know how much I have to offer others. There, there, are, there are other people that, that have more knowledge than me. I, I just don't, don't feel competent. Well, beloved, you must understand that, that God doesn't need your knowledge or your competence. But He does intend to use the, the specifics of what's going on in your life, your, your experiences, your struggles. He intends to use those in specific ways with other people that nobody else can do. You, you are a unique gift to this church. And so you're to be thinking and praying, God, who around me can I do spiritual good to? I, I feel like during the, the, the times of COVID, we've got to be especially on our game in this. There are many ways in which we're limited. You know, we can't mingle like we would like to after the service. So we're going to have to be even more intentional about, about setting up times where we can get together just for prayer, maybe to read a passage of Scripture together and just talk about it, maybe to read a Christian book together. But, but I, all of us should assume that we are supposed to be in the game. I, I'm a basketball player, and, and I was thinking the Christian life is not a basketball game where you have five people on the court and then all these people on the bench. That's not it. We're all in the game. We're all supposed to be involved in bearing fruit in each other's lives. Uh, the picture here is that Paul wants them to be like fruit trees. Lord, make us like a tree with fruit hanging off it. So that's the first participle, bearing fruit. Second is increasing in the knowledge of God. The main prayer, as we said, was to know his will. Paul circles back here to the importance of knowledge, but here it's knowledge of God, knowing more about him knowing what he's like in his, his holiness, his wrath, his love, his mercy. Knowledge of the one true and living God. Our knowledge of God feeds our walk. And then our walk fuels our intention to get to know him even more. I think it's, it's distressing how many modern Christians separate the idea of loving God from increasing in knowledge about God. Those are things that should not be separated. Now, this is not to say that that experience of God is unimportant or the affections of our hearts should not show forth the fruit of that knowledge, but there's a kind of emotionalism in much of modern Christianity that that scorns biblical interpretation and, and memorizing the Bible and comparing passage with passage to form a coherent theology. As if the God who made our hearts didn't also make our minds. Now, to be sure, you, you can become a very knowledgeable theologian and have a dry and dreary spiritual life. That's true, but that's not what Paul's praying for. There is no greater study, there's no PhD, there's no postdoctoral research that can touch one little bit of knowledge of the true and living God. He who sits above the circle of the earth and the people on it are like grasshoppers. He who flung the starry hosts into the firmament and he calls each of them by name, the one who sits in a high and holy place and also dwells with the heart of those who are contrite. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Let us know who you are, and what you have done, what you desire of us. 
So we should pray here, secondly, that we would listen to the, the Word taught with eagerness so that we can increase in knowledge of God. Friend, are you increasing in knowledge of God? Third participle, being strengthened. Being strengthened. He says, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. The, the, the prayer here moves from the, the beginning of the race to the 22-mile the marker of the marathon that we're running. It's wonderful to begin the Christian life with zeal, aiming to bear fruit, disciplining ourselves for the gaining of knowledge about God. But, but to continue running the race, you and I are going to need to be strengthened with a power that's not our own. And that's what he's praying for here. According to his glorious might, that we'd have this infusion of strength. And what is that infusion for? It says here, for all endurance and patience. I think endurance points to the events of, of our lives and patience more to people. But, but for endurance, our, our, our will to continue is tested by things in life, right? We grow weary in the battle against sin. Our bodies break down. Our, our resources seem insufficient for the need of the moment. We need God's strength to endure. Beloved, I think this is where the older saints among us are so precious to us. We need people in our lives who can talk to us about what it looks like, not just to walk with the Lord for a few years, but for many decades. I want to encourage those of us who are younger to, to take the initiative in, in reaching out to older saints. Just, just ask them to meet up for coffee or roti prata or something like that. And just talk about life. Ask the questions that will allow you to get the wisdom that they have. Patience, as I said, it can be translated long-suffering. I think it deals more with people. The patience we need dealing with people. Sometimes it's those outside of the faith that though we know we're supposed to love them, we find it difficult to do so. Sometimes it's those in the faith, in the church, that can wear us down or let us down. We need God's strength to have patience. Uh, my wife Megan called me and gave me a perfect illustration of this. We, uh, each place that we've gone, she, she started a women's Bible study. There was a church we were at that didn't really have much women's ministry going on, so she started this group. Uh, it met for a number of months. It was wonderful. And then we had to go traveling for three or four weeks, um, so the, the study was going to stop, but, but some of the, the women in the study decided they would still meet up to encourage each other while Megan was gone. Uh, but there was one woman who was not included in that, sadly. Well, when Megan got back, uh, this, this sister was very upset with Megan and sent her a blistering series of, of text messages that she forwarded to me. And I'm, I'm scrolling, oh, you know, I'm thinking, my dear wife, she's just trying to do something good, right? And then I'm sure that this, this sister's been let down before, and so she kind of was taking it out on, on Megan. I, I thought of the old joke, to, to dwell above with saints you love, well, that will be all glory. But to live below with saints you know, well, that's another story. Uh, I thought a little bit about that. But, you know, we're a family, but we're still sinners being transformed by His grace, right? We, we do sin against each other. We need long-suffering. We need patience if we're going to live with one another in a way that honors the Lord. So that's the third participle. Uh, one more, giving thanks to the Father giving thanks to the Father. Now, I should say there are two little words in there, with joy, at the end of verse 11. In the Greek text, there's no punctuation, so it's a bit of interpretation there in our ESV Bibles. It, it can either go with what's before, so uh, strengthened for all endurance and patience with joy, 
or I prefer the, the way the NIV uh, renders it, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. I think conceptually it fits better with this, this fourth participle. Uh, we thought about the importance of giving thanks in the Christian life last week. It's central, it's not peripheral to our lives, whether, whether we're people who take stock of God's goodness to us. I, I was thinking that giving thanks is like a vaccine against some of the worst viruses that infect the Christian life. I mean, when you're giving thanks, it's hard for bitterness to take root. It's hard for resentment to take root. It's hard to hold on to unforgiveness for very long. And that's the idea here, this, this gratitude, this joyful thanksgiving. You know, Paul's writing this from a Roman prison, right? He, he's praying that they would have joy because he had joy in giving thanks. Now, in addition to learning how to pray through these this kind of four participles and the main verb that we have here, I just want to stop and marvel at how amazing a picture of the Christian life we are given here. Being used by God to bear fruit in the lives of other people. Growing in our knowledge of God. Strengthened for the long haul, for endurance, patience. And covering over all of it is this this joyful gratitude for what the Lord has done. That's what walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him, that's what it looks like. So we've thought about the mind, we've thought about the feet. We need to finish by thinking about the heart. So we're praying others will know God's will, so they'll walk in God's way, motivated by His grace. That's our third point. Let's pick up the text again in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if thanksgiving is central to the Christian life, what do we give thanks for? As soon as Paul says the words, giving thanks to the Father, it's like his pen starts to fly across the page into the good news, into the gospel that saved us. And then beyond our text this morning, the glories of the Son of God who came to bring it to pass. This is a section of Scripture worth committing to memory, beloved. But what did your heavenly Father do? Paul lays it out in three main descriptions here. First, he qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Qualified is a fascinating choice of words here. You know, we humans tend to think of ourselves as, as being qualified in ourselves for something. So our test scores qualify us to get into a certain school, or our resume qualifies us for a certain job. But there's an immediate contradiction in the text, because he uses three words, inheritance, saints, and light, that point to our lack of qualifications. We're unqualified for the family inheritance because we're prodigal daughters and wayward sons. We left the Father. The, the inheritance has been liquidated. We should have none. And saints? The word saints means holy ones. But we're not holy. We're sinners through and through. And a kingdom of light? God is light in whom there is no darkness at all. Our home as fallen people is the domain of darkness with the prince of darkness grim. 
We don't like the light of God's presence, the radiance of His truth. So who is qualified for this? But Ah, beloved, He qualified us. When there was no way, He made a way. How? Verse 13, He delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Two verbs there, delivered, transferred. They point to a past action. It was taken on our behalf. Delivered can also be rendered rescued. That's what it was. It was a rescue. We were in that domain of darkness, that realm of darkness, awaiting death, awaiting judgment. The Father took action to rescue us, transfer us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. What a wonderful verse to, to point to the the way the triune God works together to accomplish our salvation, the Father and Son here. And now, as those so transferred, you and I have a new citizenship, a new passport. There's no greater immigration policy than the grace that admits us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And then the third and final phrase, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the Son of God, we have redemption. We have been bought out of the slave market of sin. We were bought with a payment. The blood of Christ shed on the cross. It had to be paid to satisfy the justice of a holy God. And it can only do that because the debt we owe was fully satisfied as the Son of God died on the cross. The forgiveness of our sins through the sacrifice of Christ accomplishes the redemption that sets us free. This is what Paul says makes us want to joyfully give thanks to the Father. You might be here this morning and and never have understood these things. Maybe you didn't realize that you needed a rescue. Like those boys stuck in the cave in Thailand a few years ago who for some time went deeper and deeper without realizing their plight. Maybe you've gone this far in life and and thought that religion is a nice thing, it's about ethics, it's about community, and nothing else. But the truth, friend, is that you are in a desperate situation. You don't know how many days you have to live. And there is a certainty coming that after death you will stand before your Creator and have to give an account for the life that you've lived. His standard for evaluating you on that day is His own holiness. And you haven't lived in a holy way. If you're honest with yourself, you you would say, I've lived for myself. And that means that you face judgment most assuredly. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made a way of forgiveness for you. If you. If you are willing to turn away from your sins... And trust in what Jesus Christ did on that cross to pay for your sins? Then on the authority of God's word, I tell you, you will be saved. You will be forgiven. And all of these things that are in this text will be true for you. Redeemed, rescued, transferred, qualified, adopted into the family of God. Believe on Him this morning and be saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, the, the grace of the Lord Jesus should be fuel for you and I. That's why we come back to it 
Lord's Day by Lord's Day, week after week. He's been so good to us. So we want to walk in a manner worthy of Him. We want to please Him because we love our Heavenly Father. We want to discern His will. And we want to pray this for others. We talked at the beginning about my 16-year-old self standing beside the roadside in need of help. There were many people who, who passed by. And there was one person that stopped and gave me the push that I needed, gave me the help that I needed. Do we believe this morning that we can, through our prayers, help other people? Why would we not grab onto this prayer and through 2022 just begin praying it for all sorts of people in this church, outside of this church, and to do so mindful of, of the way the Lord has been so good to us and with the thought, Lord, if I could be used to help somebody else, to just push them along the way, that would be a great joy for me. So in this next year, let's pray. Let's be people of prayer. And let's ask the Lord to use us. Let's pray together. Our Father, you have been so good to us in so many ways. We pray that you would help us as a church to discern your will so that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of you and please you in every way. We do that, Lord, because we are so grateful. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.